I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at The Outnet. When it comes to clothes, quality craftsmanship and impeccable fit matter. But at Goop, we also want to create a better shopping experience, one that is efficient, intuitive, and actually enjoyable. The Outnet gets this too. They have 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. Someone on my fashion team said it's like strolling down Fifth Avenue on Black Friday, only you're in sweatpants and adding to your cart from the comfort of your couch. Fans also appreciate that the Outnet has occasion-specific shops, so all the makings of a holiday wardrobe are right at your fingertips, from winter jackets to cocktail dresses. Check out theoutnet.com and take 20% off with code GOOP. For their terms and conditions, head to www.theoutnet.com backslash goop. Hi again. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, here's what you can expect. Every Thursday and a bunch of Tuesdays coming up, Goop editors will be sitting down with thought leaders who are pushing boundaries in their fields. We'll talk to doctors, creatives, CEOs, and relationship experts. I'll be interviewing some people who've had a profound influence on our culture, and you'll also hear a lot from Elise Lunin, who is my right hand at Goop. Today, I'm talking to ballet star and history maker, Misty Copeland. Misty started studying ballet at the age of 13. She went on to join the American Ballet Theater. In 2015, Misty became the first African-American woman to ever be promoted to principal dancer at ABT. In 2014, President Obama appointed Misty to the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. Misty is also the author of a New York Times best-selling memoir called Life in Motion. Her second book is called Ballerina Body, and she also has a picture book called Firebird. Not surprisingly, Misty blew me away with her grace, intelligence, and drive. I can't wait for you to hear what she had to say about changing the face of ballet and shifting the wider culture around it. Now, let's get to my chat with Misty Copeland. Thank you so much. I've been trying to get you on this podcast I'm since so I started. Excited. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that it finally worked out <laughs> and you came. And I've just been so curious to talk to you because, you know, obviously I've, I've never met you. Today yes. is our first yes. meeting, which I'm very happy about. But I've been such an admirer of yours from afar. <laughs> You're such an incredible woman on so many levels. Thank I mean, you. and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so you didn't start ballet until you were 13 years old. Is that true? Yes. Old 13. Old 13. <laughs> so yeah. how did you, and why did you decide to start at 13 and why yeah. hadn't you done it earlier? Right. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what ballet was. I'd never heard classical music before. Um, I grew up in an environment where, um, you know, my mother didn't have much of much structure in her life growing up. She was adopted and um, had me and my my the first four kids, and I was the the youngest in Kansas City, Missouri. I was born, okay. and we moved to LA when I was two. And she remarried for the third time, had another, my youngest sister, and then remarried again and had my youngest brother. So it was a lot of picking up and moving busy around. Busy lady. Busy lady. I mean, she, you know, that was kind of what I was used to. It was mm-hmm. like picking up and, and moving and there was no real, again, structure. So, um, And did you stay in L.A. from two on? Yeah, just in different cities throughout Los Angeles. Okay. And so we ended up in um, San Pedro where she married her fourth husband. And that was the first time we had a real really like a stable household. It was the first time that we weren't, you know, sleeping on a floor or at at friends' homes. And so... And do you attribute it to that stepfather? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What was his story? He was an eye doctor. (laughs) And um, my mother was working at the facility and that's how they met. Um, But it was a very tumultuous, you know, time. There was a lot of physical abuse and emotional abuse. And so my mother ended up leaving him with all six. Yeah, with all six of us. I mean, there was a lot of that throughout my young life and my mother's life as well. So at that point, it was kind of like we had nowhere to go. So we ended up living in a motel when I was 13. And it was all six of us sleeping on the floor of a one room motel. It was the lowest point for us. 
Um, we were all members of the Boys and Girls Club um, in San Pedro. Uh, my mom just felt like, you know, when she was working you know, two, three jobs after school, we could just walk to the club and be there and be safe and have get tutoring and play, whatever. So that was when um, I decided, like, I always had a love of, of movement from hearing music. Like, music was a big part of my household growing up. And so around that, around 13, I started to choreograph. <clears throat> like, I started creating movement, even though I'd never seen anything beyond, you know, MTV or VH1, BT. And so I decided to audition for the dance team. And my family, they were at school. And my family was just like, what are you thinking? I was so shy. I was like the one person in my family that didn't speak. Like no one knew who I was at school, really. It just kind of hid. So they were like, why would you want to put yourself out there and be performing in front of people? I was like, I don't know. I just feel it in my gut. And so I auditioned for the captain. And I made captain of the drill team. It was this tiny little thing, like four foot nothing. And I was like screaming at all these girls, <laughs> like, who is she? And then it was there that the coach pushed me into taking a ballet class. It was being offered at the Boys and Girls Club. It was a free class that the local teacher was, they were looking for diverse students, like people that might not have the means or the exposure to be a part of it. So that's why I was discovered on a basketball court at 13. That's where I took that's my first class. Incredible. So I never really wanted to do it. I just kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. And I want to ask you a lot more about that, but just so we don't yeah. lose the thread. So what was, how has that, the trauma mm-hmm. of your childhood, I, I don't know, either galvanized you or how are you able to overcome mm-hmm. it and heal from it? Ballet. Ballet. It, it's so interesting because I think that naturally being a Virgo, I think I was always like, I wanted to be in control of everything and I needed order. It was the exact opposite of what my life was. I didn't have control over anything. You know, I never knew what was going to happen from day to day, if we were going to have food on the table, where we were going to stay, how I was going to get to school. Um, and I just held all of this anxiety. I was just like a ball of like anxiety and to the point where I was like getting migraines at least once a week to wow. the point of like having to like go home from school because of all of the trauma and you know and just not being in control of anything and so ballet was so disciplined and so structured that I was like craving it Mm -hmm. and so I feel like it literally like saved me it taught me it gave me a focus away from the chaos like when I stepped into the studio there's no cell phone there's nothing else it's me the classical you know piano and that's it I think I was so underdeveloped at that point at 13 as a child, as a person that I start, I just like grew immensely from like a year of being in ballet and it gave me that structure and, and, um, consistency that I never had. Do you believe that moving your body or working your body helps process emotion? Absolutely. I'm so happy you asked that or acknowledged it. You know, it's something that I knew innately from my own experiences, but it's so hard to explain to people, especially that don't have any experience with the arts. And not until recently, you know, I was, I'm a part of this organization called Mind Leaps where um, they are based, they first set up in Rwanda And it's the first time that they've been able to measure how the arts and music can um, help your cognitive skills and how they can they can measure how it helps you, you know, connect all of these things and grow even more as a person, which Mm -hmm. I think like in America, we need those 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 things to be able to show that like it's important to have the arts in schools. Yeah. And I so, agree. yes, I absolutely, and, I, and I've seen it with these kids. These are street kids that have no education in Rwanda. They don't have, most of them don't have parents or homes, and they don't, they don't speak, I mean, they're, they're illiterate. And so they bring them into this environment where they start them out with listening to music and moving their bodies. And when they get to a certain point of, like, the commitment of being able to come to the studio every day, um, they start introducing them to computer classes and then teaching them English, and the, at the the pace that they learn wow. is like you know within two years they send them off to boarding school oh my gosh so it's like I've never seen proof so clear like I knew it in myself mm-hmm. but to see that it's really like it really does help people mm-hmm. um you know I think that again not everyone learns the same yeah. you can't just stick every kid in a classroom and say like read this and like you know we all process things differently and I think yeah. I needed the arts and movement to be able to connect my mind and yeah. have it grow in a way that I needed it to I think you're right and I think that all especially children mm-hmm need that kind of 
it's like a channel that you open. Yeah. And it's so important for, I think, human development. Absolutely. To ha- it's, it's, it's a spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. It's a connection to something larger than you, but that's from within you. Absolutely. I remember I was doing a movie once where I had to sing, and so I was taking singing lessons and singing lessons. And had you uh, sang it all before I mean, that? I mean, sung like in school. Okay. And, you know, just sort yeah. of not professionally. Okay. But I always loved music and right. I loved singing. But it was the first time I was sort of approaching it with a more academic, mm-hmm. uh, through an academic lens. And I think it was like my first singing lesson, I couldn't stop crying. You know, I started singing and I couldn't stop. And I thought, my God, you know, I never sing. And this is creating access to mm-hmm. all of this stuff, like instantly. Mm-hmm. It was really intense and very cathartic yes so I can understand how you I mean are able we're able to process through the body I mean it's it's incredible what is your relationship like with your mother now um it's been rocky you know up and down and I think that um you know the one thing that I take away from like my life and where I'm at today is that even if we didn't see it with our own eyes, there was something in my mother that all of my siblings have mm. this like inner will to survive. And that has served me so well in my career. Um, you know, I think that there's six of us that in the environments we grew up in, one of us should have been in jail. One of us should have been addicted to drugs. Like that was where, what happened in our environments mm-hmm. and none of us have, we're all mm-hmm. successful in what we do. And so mm-hmm. I think it says so much about her. It's been tough. You know, she didn't have the structure and the support system to even know how to be a mother or how to take care of us. And so, you know, it's up and down with all yeah, of us, of but we all have each other. And that's what I think is so beautiful. Like, I'm so happy. I have my siblings. Yeah. I'm so happy. Siblings <laughs> are fortunate. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. There's, you know, there's, with six though or with five siblings it's like when three of them are fighting with you you're like oh at least I have these other two it's like there's always (laughs) there's always an alliance somewhere (laughs) does that does does your experience sort of affect the way that you think about becoming a mother yourself yeah I think that you know all of my siblings, again, like I think we've all been very guarded or very careful about relationships that we choose to be in. Um, you know, my sister has been with her husband for like 25 years or something and or more and has a daughter and my brother. Like we're all in very stable relationships when we do commit to that. And it usually takes us a long time. I was with my husband for, I think, um, 12 or 13 years before we got married. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> So it's like, I feel like there's a consistency with all of us where that's kind of, that's what we've gotten from watching my mother go through these relationships rather than the opposite, which it could have been, you know, following in the same pattern. Um, But it's definitely made me just like more, more careful about, you know, I have the control to choose who's in my life and I want to be ready and prepared when I do start a family. And so how long have you been married? Two and a half years. And everyone's like, you're a newlywed. I'm like, but I'm not really. It's, it's been a long journey. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that you all have, that the reaction to it has been to find stability mm-hmm. and even more profound, the necessary intimacy that mm-hmm. comes with sustaining a long-term relationship. Yeah. And I would think that having grown up in those circumstances, intimacy would have been something right. to be you feared. from. Yeah. It's so interesting, though, it's that all of us kind of reacted in the same way. And I'm constantly saying to her, like, take pride in those things, you know, that like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that she thinks like, oh, I made all of these mistakes, but it's like it's made us who we are. Right. And we're so grateful for that. Yeah, I think parents really, and being a parent myself, we all struggle with those moments that mm-hmm. we think, oh, you know, I shouldn't have said it that right, way. Right, or, you know, it's an incredible, I think we're, we all feel guilty all mm-hmm. the time. And it sounds like, you know, your mother had a lot on her plate. Yes. And was probably doing her absolute best. And we know that. And didn't even have the tools to do what she of did course. do. That, you know. So, yes. But it's very, <laughs> but it, but, but, and yet, you know, it is like, it does that those kind of wounds like they they stay right mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah yeah 
Um, oh, I have so many questions to ask you. So how, how much, when I was a kid growing up in the city, mm-hmm. I always used to see ballerinas coming and going around Lincoln the bun Center. Heads. The bunheads. <laughs> always chain smoking. <laughs> what year is this? This is a long time okay. ago. I mean, I'm old. <laughs> but I, and, and I grew up very close friends with a ballerina. She was really serious about mm-hmm. it. And, and I always was amazed at sort of the disconnect between like what they ate and the smoking and everything mm-hmm. and how physical. Right. Is that still true? Or no. I wouldn't think so. Um, Are you guys very focused on? Yeah. I mean, I think in the same way that, you know, if you just look at where we are in in the world and society, like we've learned so much about taking care of our bodies, especially athletes, you know, we have so much access to so much more knowledge. And so that I think is, um, it affects the ballet world just as it has, you know, any sport Um, or even like, you know, with women or just taking care of ourselves. Like it's not just about the outside. It's, you know, what you're putting on the inside that then translates to how you feel and how you look. Um, And I know you know all of these things, but but yeah, no, it's definitely changed. I know that, yeah, when I first joined the company, which was so long ago now, 20 years or something they were still smoking in the not in the studio because that was a thing like in the 70s and in the 80s like the ballet mistresses would be like screaming at them like chain smoking and they're (laughs) trying to like run a full-length ballet that's already impossible to do like stamina wise but they were still smoking like in the stairwell and then I remember there was like a a fire started and we all had to we, we were in our tutus and point shoes and we were all thrown out on Broadway and we're just like everyone's like who are these freaks and since then like there hasn't really been yeah it doesn't it's a different world now. right we're so focused on yeah yeah taking care of our bodies and cross training and nutrition yeah and, so I wanted to ask you about that so what is the yeah. if you're I want to hear what is kind of an average day mm-hmm. both when during the season yes. and it, in downtime okay well right now is downtime so uh right now I just came from I took my own like a private class where I'm working with a coach um and then afterwards I have um, one of my mentees that I've been working with for like 10 years um and I worked with her privately after that and then I have like book events and like tonight I'm I'm flying to um Georgia and I'll be doing an event in South Carolina just like a book signing and speaking engagement so when I'm off I'm, you know, touring and doing like the Disney Nutcracker press or shooting Under Armour commercials or doing photo shoots, things like that. Um, but when I'm in season, I'm in ballet class at 10.15, 10.15 to 11.45. And then the rehearsal day starts at noon and we go till seven. Wow. Um, most likely you'll get an hour break from three to four, but I don't often get that. So I'll go straight through without any break. Um, no eating? Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't eat anything. No. <laughs> we get five minute breaks on the hour to switch studios or get water, use the bathroom, change the so no, shoes. So no tasting but, menu. No. So, you know, we have phones in every studio or we have our cell phones and we can order food and it will be delivered to the studio. So we have a five-minute break. We're like, you know. And what do you eat? What do you get? Um, I eat really light during the day. Uh, I love, you know, I, for, I keep nuts and, and fruit and dried fruit and things like that in my bag mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, water, that's all I drink usually um, throughout the day. And then Prosecco at night. <laughs> Thank God. I, I need something. <laughs> but I like sushi and salads and, and, again, just things that are really light. I like to eat my biggest meal of the day in the evening, though. Yeah. Like, there's so many theories about all of that. Oh, and I it's know. just like... I can't eat breakfast with a gun to my head. Right. (laughs) I just can't. This is the only way you're going to get through the day. (laughs) Yeah. No. can't do it. But so, you know, I think that something that I've learned and what I share, like even through, um, I had a book, Ballerina Body, that came out, I think, a year ago, um, is that it's about finding your own way. You know, I think when you're told, like, this is how it has to be, like, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of go, I've had so much trial and error throughout my professional career, just finding what works. And our bodies are constantly changing. And as we get older as women, things change. And so I'm just kind of open to adjusting things as as I feel the need. Yeah. Yeah. Will you have like a full Thanksgiving? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I love to cook. So, um, yes. And I've, I don't, I love your book and I, yes, made a lot of those recipes and, um, and I like to take things and then like re re rework them and make them my own. And so in my ballerina book, um, I share a lot of recipes that I've been cooking since I was like 19. Um, But I'm, I used to be that girl that was like, everyone came over for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, like within the ballet company, because we're usually stuck 
not away from family and stuff. But at this point, I'm like so busy that whenever I have like a Thanksgiving holiday or Christmas, me and my husband go away to a beach and like just sleep. That's so nice. How how did you meet him? So funny. So we met at a club, right? (laughs) I'm like, people these days are like, what's a club? They're like on their phones. No, I was 21 and I was at a party with my girlfriend and um, this guy kept com- like inching towards us and we we're like who is this guy he kind of looked familiar but I was like I don't so he finally came up to me he's like my cousin wants to meet you and it was Tay Diggs who came oh. to me and he was like my cousin wants to meet you and I didn't even realize it was Tay Diggs I was just like who is this crazy guy and I was like who's your cousin he's like points to this guy and I was like I had seen him like last week at another club and I was like oh <gasps> I thought he was so cute then. So we ended up talking for like five minutes and um, I found out that he was in law school um, at Emory in Atlanta and he was like, I'm getting on a flight now. So like, bye. And that was it. We exchanged numbers and we did long distance for a year. Like we would talk on the phone and he'd come to New York and then a year later he moved to New York and here we are. It's yeah, so sweet. 36. I met when, he was, when I was 21. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> That's so sweet. I love that. Well, he's, yeah, he's awesome. He's also from the West Coast. He, he was um, born and raised in Oakland. Right. So there's like, you know. Common thread. Com- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Somebody was asking me about California. I think there's something, there is like some California DNA that gets in yeah. there, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like a. I don't know, kind of expansiveness or, I don't know, it's cool. You just like, I get you. Yeah. Why did you want to write a book? Um, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think always like um, my first ballet teacher, Cynthia Bradley, she's always kind of had this broader vision for what my future would be. And I never really, I was always just like, okay, you're crazy. It's great that you can dream big for me, but like this is what I'm focused on. And that was always, she's like, I know you're going to write a book. There's probably going to be a movie about you one day. You're going to have tea with the queen. And I was just like, she's crazy. Um, So I was approached by a young editor and she had this idea and she actually um, like brought it to like the big people and they were like, we love it. So they called me up and brought me in and I was like, okay. And it was really easy though. I had a, a co-writer, uh-huh. um, Sharice Jones, who had a lot of writing under her belt. So, right. it was, you know, we just like would hang out. Like it didn't feel like, you know, I wanted it to feel organic. Right. Like Sharice would just come over to my house and we would just like chat and she'd write things down or I literally gave her like all my journals. Like that's wow. something that I've been doing since I was like 14 mm-hmm. was like journaling. It was a way I think for me to like have a voice because mm-hmm. I hated speaking and ballet also gave me the confidence to express myself without speaking. Mm. Um, I actually have a book coming out on next week and next it's, week. it's for young people. Um, it's your life in motion. My memoir is called life in motion. And so it's like some of my journal entries and then like a guiding, a guided like um, way for them to start journaling. Oh, so amazing. yes, but that's journaling great. has been such a big part of it. So I literally just like handed her like my journals and I was like, here, this is my life. You know, and then we would talk a lot and stuff. It was really cathartic, I think, for me to like heal from so many things that I hadn't processed. Yeah. You know, it's amazing my life when you so give fast. things voice. Mm-hmm. How the shame absolutely comes away, absolutely, and it's you really so create that space. It's it's such a powerful tool. It absolutely is. I th- you know I think back to like being so ashamed. There was so much shame and and secrets in my mm. in my childhood, like. I was so Mm. introverted, I think, because I didn't want anyone to know about what was happening in my Mm. home life. And so, um, you know, just the thought of even saying the words like, I live at this motel, it was just like, and now it's like so empowering. Mm. It's like so many people have shared similar experiences. So it's so powerful to share yours, you know, and I think it gives them that freedom to feel like it's okay. Or Mm. like as a child, like it's not my fault, and I think that's something that's hard for a lot of young people that grow up in environments where, you know, it's chaotic or abuse right. or all of and those so things. And so for you to be brave enough to talk about all those things, I think people, you create a community mm-hmm. where people feel, even if they don't know you, yeah. 
seen and understood and like there's hope I mean so it's really like a a responsibility to be a role model like that I mean it's incredible really Mm -hmm. it's amazing it it, yeah it just feels like you know natural and normal and you know once like my story was out there like that with through my voice Mm -hmm. it just kind of opened up all of these other things and it was just like so much easier for me to um, connect with people Um, and see how they benefit from hearing my voice because I've benefited from so many women that have mentored me along Mm -hmm. the way. Yeah, me too. The thing is, it's like that wasn't even something that was on my radar. It was like, I love this art form and I want to be a professional in it. I want to dance for ABT. And I think something that was really smart that my first teacher did was she was aware of the fact that there aren't many black or brown people in the ballet world, but that was never something that was brought to my attention. Mm. It was like, you're starting at 13. Most professionals become professionals between the ages of 17 and 19. So we don't have much time. So I was kind of in this like protected bubble. I lived with her and her family for three years to train intensely. She's wonderful. Cynthia Bradley. And I lived with her and her husband. And at the time her son was only three years old. We shared a bunk bed and like I, trained all day long with her yeah I mean it was just yeah everything just happened so quickly and again she kind of was like your focus needs to be on getting to the point where you need to not to think about all these other things which would inevitably come with your role exactly so then when I was like unleashed into the world in New York and I got to ABT I was like oh there's like 80 plus dancers and I'm the only black woman and And it went on for a decade it I was not prepared that was like another like kind of lull and like struggle within my young professional life where I was like, what am I doing here? Like it was ballet was the one place I felt accepted. And now I'm in this world and I'm like, wait, I don't actually belong here. So it just really like messed with like what I thought my role was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that through time, again, having mentors come into my life that were like, it's okay to be the first, you know, like that it was amazing to be the first. Right. I think it's it's, painful. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. But it's so important. Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about the path Mm -hmm. that you're blazing Mm -hmm. the trail that you're blazing and all that oh my god it makes me cry (laughs) (laughs) sorry no it's it's very it's very very powerful and my now husband he he took his daughter you were recently i think it was at um in la at the what's mm-hmm. the name of that theater was it at the music center no at the music was it, center? yeah um wait disney hall oh yeah 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 it, it, right there yeah in los angeles and he brought his daughter and he ran into bridget there with her oh, daughter right, yes cuz she came and oh. he was like he was so emotional because he was like there were so many Black girls Mm -hmm. in the ballet. I've never seen anything like that. It's amazing. And it really stayed with him. And I I just thought, my God, I I hadn't really thought about it in that context. Mm -hmm. Like, I watch you do your work and go through the world. Mm -hmm. And you're so brave. And you definitely know your position. Mm -hmm. It it seems like you know what you're doing. You know how important it is, no matter how difficult it is sometimes. But... My God, the after effect mm-hmm. of what you're doing. That's, I mean, that it's so clear. Mm-hmm. It's like you have, you're really changing mm-hmm. culture and it's just, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Thank and you. I know it's hard. I mean, I follow you on Instagram <laughs> and the other day you reposted a really negative tweet yeah. that some <laughs> asshole had written <laughs> and that was critical of you. And I was reading your response. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is such a graceful way Mm -hmm. to acknowledge the criticism Mm -hmm. and make it, I don't know, it's like you elevate it to, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like becomes almost a spiritual Mm -hmm. discussion more than even a cultural discussion Mm -hmm. or a racial discussion or anything discussion. How did you decide to kind of approach Mm -hmm. people like that with this elevated consciousness. Mm -hmm. I think because of my experience of being the only for as long as I was, you know, for the first 10 years of my career at ABT, I don't know, I just started to understand people's intent 
and then the words they were saying and how it has affected generations and generations of black and brown dancers Mm -hmm. and um, finding a way to connect with people as people. I think as soon as you stop listening, it kind of ends the conversation and it becomes this like combative thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always been about how I how I share my experiences with one of my white coworkers rather than attacking them. It's like educating them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how you create conversation that can Mm -hmm. continue on. And so that's just kind of been my experience. I think being very secure in who I was as a young girl, even though I wasn't as a person, but my mom was very clear about, you know, she's black and Italian. My father is black and German. And so that we were aware that we were biracial, but Mm -hmm. it was like, you're going to be seen and viewed in society and in the world as a black woman. So to be aware of that. So I was very confident in that. I feel that my my work has been to share the stories of the ballerinas that created the path for me to be here because who are I, they I mean and how? I know. how did they do it well, the thing is is that like brown ballerinas have existed from the beginning of time like since ballet started and I know that it's a European cult, like art form but um, our stories just aren't told we're not always seen mm-hmm. and so you know that's something I would want love to do as well is like to write a history book of our history mm-hmm. because it doesn't exist it's really interesting when I was promoted to solo Soloist. Everyone thought I was the first black solo, female soloist to be in that position. Meanwhile, I get someone in the company was like, no, actually, I think there was this girl named like Nora Kimball in the 70s. And I'm like Googling. I'm like, literally, you can't find anything. Then five years later, I hear about another woman. I'm Googling her. You can't find any. It's this past, like two months ago, I met another woman wow. that was a soloist at ABT, black woman, no record. So meanwhile, I think I'm the fourth uh, for like black female soloist but I was the first um, black female principal dancer but so those stories aren't told I see and we're not always given an opportunity to have a voice and and in history they usually would hire the most fair-skinned and then they could pass for white so I've just kind of had to do my own research and and then open up that conversation and share because I didn't get here on my own Mm -hmm. there were you know it was like slowly breaking away at this this culture Mm -hmm. Um, but Raven Wilkinson was the first one that really just opened my eyes and I was like wow my purpose is so much more than I thought I was watching a documentary on the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo which they existed in like the 40s and 50s and they were an all-white company and this woman auditioned and got in she was black she's more fair-skinned than me she came onto the the screen and she started speaking and I literally like I just was like I was so emotional and I didn't really understand why but it was the first time I saw myself in another classical dancer and she and her career ended early there because um, she was passing and they were performing touring in the south and the KKK found out she was there and they were threatening her life oh, so she God. had to leave the company but that those are the those are stories that we don't know about and that's so common and you so you have to do a movie of that i know there's so much i want to do with it and i think it's my responsibility to do that and you know to know that like I'm not here alone mm-hmm. I didn't do this on my own and it's important that I've had amazing women supporting me and then I see how important it is for these young girls in the mm-hmm. audience just by seeing you they might not even understand why but they're like oh I can do that or I can do anything and to me like that's been the biggest impact is Incredible. over the years seeing the change in the audience amazing. and that is just like oh it's, that's where it starts. You have to get them young and have, make them feel that they can be anything. And then you go into the you know inner s- structure of the classical world. And you have to have teachers that represent everyone. You, know, you have yeah. to have people within the system. And so that's another thing that yeah. we have to approach. Yeah. But, but, you know. One thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about our partner. The Goop stance on purchasing clothing and accessories has always been in line with our company mantra that it's up to us to make the best choices, to be intentional about what we buy without sacrificing quality, fit, or designer craftsmanship. And that can mean several things, depending on what you're after. There are those investment pieces, like a suit or a classic pair of boots, which don't fall into particular seasons. And they're the more trend-forward pieces that can make every season feel a bit different. At the Outnet, they stock some of the best of these two worlds. They have 350 plus designer brands to browse through, including big names like Chloe, Isabel Morant, and Stella McCartney. And they have new clothes landing on the site every weekday, Monday through Friday. Chances are they'll have the jumpsuits, wrap skirts, and tote bags you've had your eye on from some previous seasons. 
But now, on the Outnet, they're up to 75% off retail prices. And if you head over to theoutnet.com, you can take an additional 20% off your next purchase by entering code GOOP at checkout. To see the Outnet's fine print, log on to www.theoutnet.com backslash goop. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Why do you think that you get a hard time sometimes? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, again, when, when people don't I'm speaking know. as somebody who never gets a hard time about anything <laughs> I do. <laughs> you just float through life mm-hmm. and, you know... Rainbows no one ever criticizes me. No. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I think that as soon as you're kind of you are put out there and you're you're being seen by so many people, like it's like it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and you have to be ready for it, and that's yeah. kind of where I stand. Yeah. That it's like I not like oh my gosh, why is this happening? It's like no, people are going to mm-hmm. have opinions. People are whatever it is, and and especially if you're changing culture. Exactly. Exactly. Especially if you've introduced something new. Mm-hmm. I find that in my own life that when we talk about something new mm-hmm. on Goop or move culture forward, it's really incredible the amount people of respond. people. There's a lot of discomfort right. in the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's how you make change. Absolutely. Change that's is never comfortable. Never. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's just been like, you know, I've again, I've always tried to step back, especially in this day and age with social media. It's like these people don't know you and they feel, you know, so emboldened to make these statements that maybe aren't even thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I come at it from that way. Like if I see something, it's not like I'm like, oh, my God, that person, like I don't know them. So it's it like how, hurt you. how much can it really hurt? Right. Of course, like the words like and in my mind, I'm like, well, how many people might be thinking that and I try and if it's something that I think is a conversation that I want to have then I use that as a conversation starter and so you know I never want to post anything to like attack anyone or make them feel bad but it's like this is something that's going on that maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even know about and so I want to address it and so that's I think think it's incredibly brave (laughs) I do and it's funny so it's reading you know on your feed or whatever I'm trying to get the lingo there. <laughs> I know right I don't know either <laughs> that you know a lot of people were saying like don't you know give this person a platform to yeah, and I was like no this about. is so interesting mm-hmm. it's this person is anonymous but you're dealing with a kind of energy that sometimes needs to be checked and put yes. in its place yeah. and that's also part of I imagine what your mission yes. is yes you absolutely and yeah again it's the conversation it's getting people to a, a point where they feel comfortable enough to have these conversations with people that are not like them mm-hmm. and to me that's like the probably one of the biggest problems in terms of like race relations in the U.S. Yeah. is that that like line where it's like people feel uncomfortable using certain words or they're going to offend. And so then it never happens. Right. And it's people like a back lo- away yeah. from a conversation or then the other person attacks. And so it's like, you have to get to a point where people feel comfortable mm-hmm. enough to even say like, well, you know, we can always say, well, that's maybe not the right way to say it. And then educate someone. Right. It's funny. One of my, a woman that I'm very close to said once, you know, the, we were having this conversation a similar conversation and she said the only conversations that are actually really critical to have are the uncomfortable conversations oh yeah absolutely like all other conversations I mean, can come and go right but the ones that are gonna transmute exactly yeah anything are always difficult totally. yeah it's like with protests and stuff it's yeah. like there's never a right time no exactly <laughs> that's the do point. you think you'll <laughs> teach one day um I don't know. It would be the most packed ballet class of all time. <laughs> it's like everybody's lined up around the block <laughs> trying to get in. You're like at the 92nd Street Y. <laughs> I just gym <laughs> full now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I try and, and um, do what I feel is right in the moment. And yeah. I've been coaching and mentoring for like my whole career. Mm-hmm. You know, when I have time and I feel like I really can Uh, the person can really benefit from what I have to Mm -hmm. give them. And do you Um, see now more young ballerinas of color? I do. It's, you know, again, like it's not at the levels that I'm at because it takes so long to create and nurture a dancer and you have to have such a big group of them coming in to even get that one percent that makes it into a top company. So, you know, it's like the more you have, the more Mm -hmm. opportunity there will be. But 
you know, just seeing this next generation or however many generations, Mm -hmm. the ones that are coming to the ballet now. Mm -hmm. And that's the cycle that we're going to see in however many years from now, I think where you're going to see a big impact Mm -hmm. on the diversity changing in the top tiered companies. But, you know, right now I think there's three black girls in ABT including me. And that's the most I've seen in my career. Wow. And, you know, they're, they're popping up here and there in mm-hmm. big companies. I think that the Royal Ballet has a young girl that's biracial. Um, and New York City Ballet has a young girl that's in the court of ballet that's African-American. So the spotlight's on the ballet world in a way it's never been mm-hmm. on them. And I think that a lot of these companies are being forced to address they these changes. I mean, because we've, we've been able to live in this bubble. No one, you know, knew or cared about what was going on, at least in America, within right. those, you know, this has been going on always. Until you came along. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I wanted to be able to bring it to more people and put it on a broader platform mm-hmm. outside of this little bubble. You know, yeah. when I worked with Prince, it was like, that was my vision. I wanted it to get out there. I mean, you know, agree, you know, of course I wouldn't do anything that didn't make sense for me. Like, yeah. Under Armour made sense. Like, right. you know, the our athletes they have, they're the underdogs and they overcome something and then for them to see me as an athlete, it's like this respect thing that America Americans have for football players and basketball players, but don't always for dancers. Which is insane because, you know, my daughter was dancing for a long time and the level of discipline that's required, the hours upon Mm -hmm. hours, I mean, it's just astonishing. it's physical, but then you also have to be an actress. Yeah, exactly. And it has to look easy and it takes even more strength to make it look effortless. That's the thing that's incredible. (laughs) Even, you know, when when you see ballet and you it looks like oh yeah i could do that right that's why people are like no you're just spinning around up there in tool and you're like no we're dying (laughs) when did you go on point then if you started at 13 two months after no i know i'm I'm, whenever i say this i'm like little kids don't do this at home (laughs) no i mean you know i think that my my physique and the way I was built and like my genes, you know, my whole family is very athletic, but um, my teacher felt I was ready yeah. and she would never have put me in a position That's where amazing. I could hurt myself. But yeah. But you obviously had a preternatural gift yeah. that she yeah. was like yes. tapping into. Right. Wow. That's, That's really amazing. weird. <laughs> but you're supposed to start point, right? When you're. 13? No, there's no really, not really an age limit. I would say most dancers start between the ages of three and seven. Like that's On kind point? of, no, and just training. Right. Um, because they want to get the body before it develops, right. before it changes, you go through puberty so then they can really mold it. But you have to have at least five, five to seven years of ballet training under your belt before they give you point shoes. Mm-hmm. But they, you just have to be strong enough and consistent enough and knowing the technique to then right. be able to support yourself. You know, right. people think you're like standing on a, block of wood like that's your foot in there it's like there's a very thin layer of whatever that is between your toe and the floor so that's all your own strength standing on point it's not some shoey strap on that gets us up there that's nuts (laughs) although now I saw since the time where you know when I was a kid, uh-huh. now there's like a like a plastic, so like stuff. a silicone-y, I don't know. My oh, daughter you mean had like it in the pat, the yeah, toe pads. Like it used to be right. literally you just put lambs wool or whatever. Wool. Yeah, and now it's there's so many things that like I like to stick to like the traditional. You stick to your lambs wool. Well, I so when I first started dancing, I was wearing using lambs wool, and then when I changed studios from away from Cynthia, my first teacher, um, this teacher was like no pads, and we were like. <gasps> But so, yeah, so I don't wear anything, nothing, no band-aids, no pads, anything. She felt like I couldn't fully articulate my toes if there was something between my foot and the shoe, which now it's like you build the strength and you, you know, and, um, but I, I think it's true, you know, that like you, we have to be so articulate in our toes. And sometimes when there's something between it, it even makes you kind of lose feeling there sometimes. It's like you don't want too much comfort because you don't have real control over it. People might think I'm crazy when I'm spoken like, oh, like a true anything. masochist, <laughs> right? That's what we are, right? As dancers, as artists, <laughs> I think all perfectionists yes. on some level, yeah. right? There's something masochistic there. I can relate. <laughs> so, do you? What do you think about starting a family? Oh, I, I mean, yes, that's always been, you know, extremely but important. But then you're like, what do you do? Because right. you're in a career that it's yeah. not like. I think more people, um, more women in ballet companies have children than most people know. But for me, it's just been so interesting because my path, 
everything I've gotten has been so much later than what is traditional or expected. Mm -hmm. So for me to be given the opportunity to do my first principal role at 29, that's unheard of. So then to be promoted at 32 and now I'm 36, it's like finding Uh that window. It's like had I had a child when I was a soloist, I probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity to do a principal role. Right. But then, like, I'm a principal now, and it's like it's only been, like, two, two and a half, three years. So it's like I don't want, really want to stop. It's like it's, right. you know, I think every woman who has a career and everything. For, yeah. yeah, working It's about women. finding that right window, but I will do it. It's pretty fun, <laughs> I have to say. It's oh, I pretty, love kids. That's so nice. Do you, do you have a lot of nieces and nephews? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. lots of little so ones around all me all the time. Yes, and I'm always just around little kids. Like I'm going on this little book tour right now, and there's always little ones like yeah. that come, and it's just like, oh, so nice. I love it. <laughs> Do you have tools that you have created or that you could articulate to sort of, you know, when you, if you ever go back, you know, because I sometimes find with trauma that's happened mm-hmm. in childhood, it's almost like, time isn't linear and mm-hmm. somebody can say something Triggers. to me or, and I feel like, oh, I'm back, back in a, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and so I'm interested in asking people particularly, like, are there tools that you use mm-hmm. when you find yourself re-traumatized mm-hmm. or kind of back in time? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think my husband's been so great about, um, helping and guiding me in a way that made me feel comfortable to address these things and not like, oh, that's just my secret and shame. And then when you don't address it, and then you'd have a trigger and then it's like, blah, it's like all out there. Um, you know, of course I'm a big believer in therapy and, and I think the more you talk about things, you yeah. know, um, the, the easier it will be to deal with them. Um, I think something that I've had to do was kind of kind of remove myself from things when they happen and like think like what was the other person thinking or what was their intent and so I feel like when I kind of remove myself in that way it allows me to like see the bigger picture and that you know and a lot of times you know even when dealing with these people on Instagram or on Twitter it's like most of the time it's not about you so I I don't know I don't know if that makes any sense but like removing myself and then understanding like why things happened or why people reacted in a certain way I think that makes it less traumatic Mm -hmm. and emotional for me when I can step back and think like why was I put in a situation where I was like in an abusive like environment or you know what I mean I feel like again most of the time it's not about me it's about that other person it always is yes exactly you know they're always yeah it's like you're you're just a screen Mm -hmm. and you've put something on the screen and they're vomiting on it or crying at (laughs) it or throwing something at it or whatever the case may be Yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you're very strong, you know, both mm-hmm. internally and obviously externally. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, no one's really asked me a lot of these questions, so it's nice to switch it up. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm always so fascinated by how women survive mm-hmm. things, especially women who are, you know, brave enough to put mm-hmm. themselves in a situation where they're really changing culture. Right. I mean, I think that we're like, the strongest beings to ever have been created. It's true. Existed. <laughs> like <laughs> the strength that, yeah, I mean, the strength that's inner and, and outer and the way we can give of ourselves is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yes. I wanted to ask you about the Nutcracker oh, movie. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the Nutcracker movie. Oh, uh, it's so exciting. I'm so excited. <laughs> we love the Nutcracker in our family, so we cannot wait. I can't wait for you to see it too. Yeah, I mean, the Nutcracker is such an important, plays such an important role in the ballet community and in my life as well. It was the first ballet I ever performed in. When I was 13, I was Clara. And then when I was 14, I was the Sugar Plum Fairy. And I've danced every role pretty much in the Nutcracker (laughs) throughout my career. What's your favorite? Um... Oh besides gosh. Clara. Well, so the the version that we're doing now, we, we do it December 16th, 19th, and 22nd are my shows in Orange County, California. We're coming. I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> and the version is um, choreographer Alexi Rotmanski. So his version is much more whimsical and he kind of takes twists and turns with the story. And I think that his version of the Clara that I play is my favorite. Okay. So there is a young Clara in the first act, but then 
in her mind, she imagines what her life will be like as a grown woman. And I become the like adult Clara and her little nutcracker doll becomes her prince. And so this evolution and, and it, I don't know, it's, it's one of my favorite versions. Mm-hmm. So it's still Clara. And this is the one it's, you this, filmed? This is the one we'll be dancing in Orange County. Okay. The one we filmed, Disney's version was based on the book. Okay. So it's not at all what people, I think, are used to seeing with the ballet because that story was altered a bit for the classical ballet. There's no ballet in the book. Right. So they were like, we can't have a Nutcracker film and not put ballet in it. People will go crazy. Right. Like, what? That's how we know it. So they created my character just for the film so that I could be a little bit of a dance sequence within the film. Oh, so okay. So it's not a whole filmed ballet. No. It's, yeah. It's live action. Helen Mirren is playing Mother Ginger. Kira Knightley is the Sugar Plum Fairy. Morgan Freeman is Uncle Drosselmeyer. Mackenzie Foy is Clara. So it's like an amazing cast. And I'm kind of there. I'm the ballerina princess. Of and course I, you are. And I come in and I, um, I perform for all of the characters. Like they're sitting on their thrones. And that's how we met. Oh. I like walk on set and like Kira's like on her throne. And I'm like, hey. And I was like, like doing my ballet. <laughs> Um, But I'm there to tell the story of the four realms to Clara because she's entering a world that her mother created, Marie, who has passed away. Okay. So that's kind of what. Oh, my gosh. And when is it coming out? It came out. um, Oh, it came out. November 2nd. November 2nd it came out. Okay, good. I'm very excited yeah, about it's, it. I'm very excited too. No, it's just, it's amazing too. Again, like being a brown ballerina, this next generation is going to be able to watch this film. It's incredible. And that's going to be what a ballerina looks like. Yep. It's not like, oh, that's a brown ballerina. It's like, oh, you know, and it's amazing. And But that's what's so powerful is like when I look at my children, when they came to understand what a president of the United States it was, was. Barack Obama. Right. So how, how does that, that not completely shape the way that you see the Absolutely. world? It's incredible. Yeah, I just think that nothing's sustainable if there's not diversity. I agree with you. Yeah. It's it's amazing though when we're when we're given an opportunity and a platform yeah. what we can do as women. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much oh, for I'm talking so to glad me. This you finally are happened. just extraordinary thank and you so, so much. inspiring. Thank you. So are you. Thanks so much for joining my conversation with the incredible Misty Copeland. You can learn more about Misty at mistycopeland.com. And if you've never seen her on the stage before, I highly encourage you to get to the ballet. Thanks again for tuning into the Goop Podcast. We'll be back next week with two conversations, a special episode on Tuesday and our regular Thursday conversation. To keep up, just hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and share with a friend. And if you're looking for more info, head to goop.com slash the podcast. See you soon.